Hey, listen, it's great to see you guys today. Man, I'm excited. It's been, uh, again, been a great week at our Serve Week. We want to just give a shout out for you that gave some time, for you that showed up at all of our different locations as we served in our community, came alongside of a lot of nonprofits, stepped up, helped some families in our area. Just want to say thank you again. Thanks for giving. Thanks for serving. Thanks for your investment. This is how we are, the hands and feet of Jesus. It's not by showing up Sunday and sitting in a seat. It's by going into our community and letting our light shine, loving people and serving our community. That's what the church is all about. And so guys, thank you, man, for showing up and making it happen. Can we just give again, man, just a round of applause for those who made that happen. Well, hey guys, listen, man, we are starting again, or continuing our series, Selfie. And uh, when I was a kid, there was a, a saying that we had, a phrase that we had. If somebody would say something, and maybe, maybe you had this phrase, maybe you grew up in, here in the South, in the North, it was something common. If somebody said something that they wanted to do or wanted to see happen, but there wasn't a really good chance that it was going to happen, we would say this, uh, don't get your hopes up. Did you guys ever hate say that before? Don't get your hopes up. It was a way of saying, yeah, yeah, good luck with that. It's probably not going to happen. And we kind of live in a culture right now where there's a lot of things that we shouldn't get our hopes up about, right? I don't know about you guys, but when you watch TV, when I see a, a restaurant come on and they have a new dish, or if you're sitting in a restaurant and you're flipping through the menu, have you ever noticed like what you see on TV or what you see in the menu? Like it looks so delicious. It looks so put together. You're like, I want to have one of those. Listen, don't get your hopes up because what actually shows up to the table looks nothing like what's in the menu, right? How many people, how many are Pinterest people? How many are Pinterest people in the house? Listen, don't get your hopes up. Listen, you can go to Hobby Lobby, you can spend the money, you can go through the glue sticks, get the beads and glitter. It's not going to look like it did on Pinterest. Pinterest is for professionals, right? Don't get your hopes up. You can give it a shot. I remember just a couple months ago, the lottery was around $2 billion and a bunch of you suckers were out growing the pot. People talking about, listen, when, when I win, I'm quitting my job. When I, some of you had sheets of paper. And you had everybody who you was going to give money to. You was going to buy mama a new house. You was going to buy your boy, your son a new car. Listen, don't get your hopes up. Don't quit your job. Listen, you have a better chance of getting in a plane crash, falling in the ocean, getting eaten by a shark than winning that lottery. Don't get your hopes up. But the reality is there's a lot of things that we can joke about. There's a lot of things that we can laugh about. But in reality, come on, guys, if we're honest, there are some things in our lives and in our circles of of um, situations that we face, things that we're going through where a lot of you in this room, you're hopeless. Like you would look maybe at your life, maybe you've never said these words to yourself, but in reality, you would probably maybe feel this way. Hey, don't get your hopes up. Because sometimes we face situations that are so big and so overwhelming, or we've been in a certain lifestyle so long that we just feel like it's never going to change. In fact, some of you in this room, and it's kind of just your thing, you're just kind of a pessimist. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you're just kind of negative because you've been locked in a lifestyle, because you've been, you've been dealing with a situation, you've been overwhelmed with the problem so long that you just kind of decided, hey, don't get your hopes up. It's just always going to be this way. I'm always going to be hopeless. It's just always, I'm never going to change. I'm never going to get the job. I'm, my, I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm never going to find Mr. Right, Mrs. Right. I'm like, this is just always how it's going to be. And so maybe life has told you, hey, don't get your hopes up. But I just want to tell you on the front end today, because of Jesus, you can get your hopes up. You can get your hopes up. 
Now, again, it may not look that way. It may not feel that way. Maybe, again, you've been in a situation for such a long time that you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you felt the way that you're feeling or you've battled kind of the thing that you've been in so long that you just feel like you can never change. And what I want you to know this morning as we jump into week three is this, is that, is that your past is not the best indicator of your future. God's promises are the best indicator of where you're headed in life. There is hope in Christ. Now, let's think about it. What would happen, what would happen if you begin to wake up every day and live with aggressive hope? Everybody say aggressive hope. Like you just make this decision like I'm going to walk with hope. I know like it doesn't feel this way, maybe it doesn't look this way, but I'm just going to have hope about my situation. I just want you to know a couple of things would happen right off the bat. If you woke up every day believing that God is on your side, that God is for you and not against you, that there are promises that God has over your life and in your life, if you just believed every day that God wanted to do things, good things to you and good things through you, let me just tell you, here's a couple of things that would change if you live with aggressive hope. First of all, your attitude would change. Come on, a lot of you Debbie Downers, you need an attitude change. Mama used to say you need an attitude adjustment. But God can give us an attitude change when you have hope. Because you can't be negative, you can't be pessimist and have hope at the same time. Where there is hope, it pushes out negativity. Where there is hope in Christ, where there is hope in your future, where there is hope in your situation, that you're not doomed to be stuck in the situation you're in forever. All of a sudden, when you have hope, negativity and pessimism goes out the door. If you'll walk in aggressive hope, not only will your attitude change, I just want you to notice, listen to me, your life will change. Someone has said it this way, that your attitude determines your altitude. That if you'll get a different perspective on life, if you'll look at your situations, instead of hopeless, instead of, right, don't get your hopes up, you can get your hopes up. Because, again, when your attitude changes, all of a sudden your life will start to change. Let me tell you something else will change. And this is where we're at in our spiritual journey. Your relationship with God will get stronger than it's ever been when you walk in hope. The Bible says it this way. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what God wants of us is God wants, to look at, God wants us to look at who he is, look at what he's promised, and just believe him. God wants us to say, God, I trust you with my life. God, I believe you for my life. God, I believe you're bigger than what I'm going through. I believe you're bigger than the struggle, bigger than the battle. God, I believe your promises are the solution for my struggle. And so when you have and you walk in this aggressive hope, your attitude changes, your life changes, your relationship with God will change, and ultimately your future will change. Because again, who you are, where you're at in life, your future, the best indicator of your future is kind of not your past. It's, it really is God's promises. So let's just talk about what's hope. When we talk about hope, what do we mean by hope? Some people would say this. Some people would say hope is just, hope is just expecting or wanting something for the future. Right? That's what, that's what we think like all the way from little kids. We hope we get something for Christmas. All the way up into our adult lives, when we talk about hope, we just think it's this, it's this desire for something in the future. I, I hope I get the job. I hope I get the girl. I hope I get the date. I hope I, hope I get into the program, right? I, I just hope. And I want you to know that that's kind of this worldly hope, 
But today, because we're in church and we're one of the strongest characters, characteristics that should be in your life as a Christ follower is hope. Because God is the source of hope. Biblical hope is different than worldly hope. The hope of this world, again, is just like we just maybe hope something changes. But biblical hope is this. Here's the definition of biblical hope. Biblical hope, read it with me, is a confident expectation of something good in the future. It's a confident expectation. The difference is this. Is this kind of worldly, wishy-washy, well, I hope it happens hope has this uncertainty to it. Like it may happen, it may not. You hope it happens, but don't get your hopes too high. But biblical hope, what we have in Christ, what we have in our relationship with Jesus is a confident expectation. So it's not about, well, I hope it happens, but there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a confident expectation. It means that there is this level of assurance that we can walk with, again, who God is and that he's in control. Everybody say confident expectation. I just want to challenge you today that as you leave this place, as you step into Monday morning, Tuesday, hump day, Thursday, that every day you walk up with this, you wake up with this confident expectation. That you just determine you're going to live with this aggressive hope as you look at your situation, as you look at your life, as you look at your family. Maybe it's not right now where you want it to be. As you look at your marriage and, 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 and everything, we're going to see this, everything that kind of you can see with your eyes thinks it looks bad. I want you to look at your spouse with hope. Now, some of you, come on, you got to look deep. You got to look at your situation. You got to look at what you're going through. You have to look at everything around you with this confident expectation, this hope that we have, again, in God, in Christ, in the promises he's given us. And so today, for a few minutes, where we've been really through this whole series is we've been looking at this guy by the name of Abraham. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Romans chapter 4. The Apostle Paul uses, again, he uses Abraham's life to exemplify what it looks like to walk with hope. Now, again, let me, let me just say this, because I know there's some people here in this room that there are things going on in your heart, in your life, and you just don't believe they'll ever change. In fact, there's some of you in this room, you don't pray about it anymore. You don't talk about it anymore because you've just given up. Like, this is just how it's going to be. That you're just going to have a, a spouse, like you're just going to tolerate your spouse until death do you part. You made a promise to God and that's just how it is. And you're just going to tough it up and it's just always going to be rotten. Like, you've been in debt as far back as you can look. You've got student loans up to here. There's no end in sight. There's a lot of us in this room, we have just kind of given up on the power of hope in our life. I want you to know today that you can have hope in Christ. And again, so let's check out what some of the things that the Apostle Paul says about this guy. Again, we see him in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul brings him into our modern life and he says this, check it out. Romans chapter 4, every voice here, I want you to read this with me. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Let, let's just try that again. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Now, listen, I'm just telling you, that's, that's right here, the description of a lot of us in this room. A lot of us here, we have no reason to hope. 
Like, again, our education, our finances, our health, our situation, what we feel, what we're going through, where our kids are at, where our marriage is at, we feel like there is really no reason to hope. And so when you look at, when you look at who Abraham was, Abraham in his life, you remember Abraham? Abraham was the guy that God spoke to him and said, hey, Abraham, I- I'm going to bless you. You're going ha- to have a son, and ultimately out of that son is going to come forth a nation. Ultimately, the reason God wanted Abraham to have a son, again, wasn't just so Abraham had a kid. So ultimately, through Abraham, through his offspring, would come the Messiah, would come Christ, our Savior. And we all know this, guys. He was 75 years old. In fact, he was not only just 75 years old, his wife was 65. And God shows up and says, listen, listen, you're you're wrinkled and old and your wife's womb is dead. There is no reason for hope. But you know what Abraham said? I'm going to keep on hoping. Everybody say, I'm going to keep on hoping. I'm going to have aggressive hope about my situation. Well, how do you have aggressive hope? How is it in the middle of situations like this, you can continue to do this? Here's how. Watch this. Right here. For God had said. God had said. So I want you to know something. Hope isn't a feeling. It's not a circumstance. Hope is a decision. You don't feel hope. If you feel it, that's great. But hope isn't how you feel in the morning. Hope isn't how you feel when you get the letter in the mail. Hope isn't how you feel when you go through something difficult. You can maybe feel hopeless but still have hope. You can go through a tough situation but determine, I'm deciding that I'm going to believe God. I'm making a decision that I'm going to have hope. And everything that you look at, here's the thing is, hope isn't based on natural circumstances. Because sometimes natural circumstances will tell you, you don't have any reason to hope. You don't have any reason to believe anything will ever change. You don't have any evidence that things will ever be different. So even though in the natural, you have no reason to hope, we can continue to keep hoping. Because, watch this, it's not based on what we feel, it's based on what God has said. So our confidence, our hope isn't in our ability, it's in God. Our confidence and our our hope for a change in the future, for a breakthrough, to overcome. Listen, I just want to tell you guys, to see a transformation in your life, in your finances, in your marriage, in your kids, the ability to hope for great things isn't in your strength. It's not in your ability to turn things around. It's in what God said. And I want you to know that God has promises over people's lives in this room. God has promises about the strength he wants you to have, about the hope he wants you to have. God has promises about the resources he wants to bless you with. God has promises about the hope we have in our salvation, about the forgiveness we have of our sins, about the healing that we can experience as Christ followers. God has promises over every area of our life. God has promises for your marriage, for your children. God has promises that he's going to be the strong tower, that he's going to be the umbrella of hope that our homes walk in. Come on, church. God has given us promises, and because he said it, we got to determine that we're going to keep the hope. Now, again, there's these natural circumstances that tell us things are never going to change. When uh, when we made the move down here, uh, one of the first things we had to do before we moved from Ohio down here to Alabama over four years ago was we had to sell our house. Now, some of you guys will remember the housing market about four years ago. Anybody remember how bad it was? It's still not great. We sat down, this is a true story, we sat down around the end of November, 
We've, God opened the door for us to come here to Faith Church to be your pastor. We were excited about the move from Ohio to Alabama. We sat down with a real estate agent that was a friend of ours we had done some business with. And he sat down, and basically this is what he said. Your house is never going to sell. Now, he didn't say those words, but here's what he said. He laid out all these houses. There was about eight houses that were similar in size, similar in price as our house. And he went through them. He said, this house has been on the market 673 days. This house has been on the market 519 days. This house has been on the market. And the, short, the one that had been on the market the least was like almost 300 days. Basically, what he said is, houses in your price range aren't selling right now. So he said, your house isn't going to sell. And he said, even if houses in your price range were going to sell... He said, this is not the time of the year that people buy houses. People don't move around Thanksgiving. People don't move around Christmas, especially in the north. You do not want to be moving boxes in the snow. So he said, listen to me. Number one, your house is priced out of the market. It's not going to sell. Number two, it's not the time of the year that it's going to sell. Number three, he said this. Even if your house was priced right, even if your house, uh, if it was the right time of the year, he said, people aren't going to buy your house because you have an outdated septic system. In order for you to get it on the market, you're going to have to put at least $10,000 in the septic system, which we didn't have. I don't know if you all got $10,000 in your bank account, but I did not have $10,000 where stuff went. Y'all tracking me. We don't have $10,000. So he said the only, so, so we said, well, listen, you know what? There's no reason for hope. Come on, church. I wish y'all would just hear me today because I can tell you a thousand stories like this that we've experienced. Listen, it's priced out of the market. It's the wrong time of the year. We got a septic system that's gone bad. But I want you to know, listen to me. The next week we opened up our house. We had six families show up, showed up. The the last family showed up. This is a true story. I'm going to make this really short. Last family showed up. We had a huge house, huge house. It was a mom and a dad and a young girl. We thought they were coming to look at our house for them three. Here was a young lady. She was 23 years old, has just graduated nursing school, was looking to purchase her first home. Why does a young girl who's single purchase a house that's over 3,000 square feet? I have no idea. All I know is that God said, I want you to move to Alabama. And we said, God, the only way we can move to Alabama is if you sell our house. And he said, I want you to hope in circumstances. I want you to hope in me. She showed up. She had a down payment. She showed up. Listen to me. She wanted our house. She was willing to pay our price. She was willing. Listen to me. She didn't make us change the septic system. She signed off and said, I'll take it exactly as it is. And within, listen to me, less than a month, we closed on that house. Do you know why? Because I had a confident expectation, not in me, not in the market, not in my house. I had a confident expectation in what God had said. Come on, church. I want you to know that God can do what you can never do. My circumstances are never going to change. Your natural eyes will tell you that things cannot and will not change. But I want you to know that every circumstance in this world is subject to the authority and the power of the God that we serve. So keep going in this. Watch this. Verse 19. Keep reading this. And Abraham's faith. Come on, read it. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. There was not Viagra back in the day. Are y'all tracking with me? The Bible says, listen, even though. Everybody say even though. Everybody in this room has some even those. You've got a situation where you want it to change. You wish it could change. But even though, even though it's always been this way, even though I've always felt this way, even though my dad was this way and his dad was this way, even though, even though it's been this way for 10 years, even though it's been this way for 20 years, we all have even those. But as Christ followers, we also have a relationship with the living God who can change our even those. Keep going. Verse 20. 
Keep reading with me. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, he brought glory to God. Verse 21. He says this. uh, Back up to this verse. Let me show you this verse in Hebrews. You say, well, how how do we keep our faith? How do I keep my faith from wavering? If I'm going to believe God, and I'm looking at my situation, and every natural situation that I look at says it'll never change, it'll always be this way, it'll always be negative... How do, you, how do you keep from wavering? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says this. Let us hold tightly. I want you all to do this. I want you to white-knuckle life. I want you to white-knuckle that junk. Hold on to God's promises. I promise you, listen to me. If I put a check for a million dollars in your hand and try to take it, take it from you, listen, who would give that up? No one in this room. You'd be punching your pastor in the name of Jesus. Hold on that check. You'd be holding, listen, I got it. I want you to know you have something greater than a million-dollar check signed by a man. You have all of the promises of Scripture signed in the blood of Christ that are ours in Jesus. They are our inheritance. And Paul says, listen to me, he says, I want you to hang on to those. I want you to hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. Here's why. For God can be trusted. See, our hope's not in our ability. Our hope is in God's faithfulness. Some of you in this room, listen to me, a lot of you in this room, you've already experienced God's faithfulness in your life. Now, maybe there's an area you've not experienced it yet. Maybe there's an area like we're talking about where you're hopeless, where you refuse to get your hopes up. But you have a lot of other areas like me. There's a lot of places in my life where I've experienced God's faithfulness. And God's faithfulness in my past is an indicator and a promise that he'll be faithful in the future. That I can have hope even when there's no reason for hope. Even when it doesn't look like there's any evidence of hope. I can make the decision to have hope in Christ. I love this. Watch this. Keep going. Jump back to Romans. Every voice here, read this. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Again, I want you to hear this, guys. Watch this. Hope is a decision. You can decide this morning to have hope. Or you can decide this morning, I'm not going to have hope. And if you walk out of this place hopeless, you can guarantee your situation will never change. But if you walk out of here with aggressive hope in God, in his promises, in what he has said about your life, about the promises that we find in his word, about the things that we go through on a daily basis, your attitude will change, your life will change, Your relationship with God will change and your future will change. I'd say it this way. I got a a little rope up here. I'm going to call this this morning the the rope of hope. Uh, How many people people here have have dogs? Wave wave your hand if you're a dog person. You don't even have a dog, but you're a dog person. Wave at me. How many people here are cat people? Well, the Lord will forgive you. I just want you to know all dogs go to heaven and all cats go to hell. (laughs) It's, It's true. It's true. I can't point to it in Scripture, but in my heart, I know it's true. (laughs) Listen, there's no way an animal that's stuck up and mean can go to heaven. That's just impossible. (laughs) It's just utterly impossible. But we have one of these dogs. Maybe you have a dog like this. Our dog, his name is Phineas. He's a poor little thing. He's got one eye. And uh, he got into our home simply by sympathy alone. We just felt bad for him, gave him a place to stay, gave him some food. And he's a great dog, though, man. He's lovable. He's a good dog. He's not one of those hyper dogs. He won't jump on you. He's just a great dog, right? But he's got this thing 
where he just kind of waits for the door to open. Does anybody have a dog like this? And like he'll, he'll play it off too. When the door opens, he's always looking for a way to get out of the house. And when you open the door to talk to somebody, he's like, and he acts like he's not looking at you. But at the right moment when you turn your back, if he can, he's out the door. And once he's out the door, I hate him. And I don't cuss out loud, but I cuss in my head. Because he does this thing where he'll run like 20 feet. He does the thing that I do to my kid in the car. He'll wait till I get right on him and then he'll run further. And then I'll walk and he'll run further. And it just... And the only reason I don't strangle him in public is because I'm sure I have a PETA neighbor and they'll turn me in. <laughs> so when I finally catch him, this is true, last Wednesday, I was, last Wednesday, I was exa- a week ago Wednesday, I was exhausted. We had a great service. I went home, I went home to let him out. First thing you do, when you, you got to let him out or he's going to lose his mind. So I let him out and I thought I hooked him and I, it was dark and, and I missed. And so I hooked and I let go and I was holding the chain and he knew it. He was gone. I was, I'm going to kill you if I catch you. And so I, I had this idea. We'd never done this before. He, he, I don't think he would fall for it, but I got a box of his bones, and I went outside, and I thought, listen, ain't no dog smarter than this guy right here. And so I went out, and I shook the box of bones. I'm telling you, like a bullet, here he came. And so I handed him a bone, and I thought he would stay there. He grabbed the bone and took off running. I was like, I did not think that through very well. But when you finally catch him, here's the thing is, when you finally catch him, you have to have a leash because you got to walk like this. You get an incredible leg workout. And if he's run like a mile, it's just a long. So we always got to grab some kind of rope or some kind of leash. And, and here's what happens. Watch this. Life has a way of our situations and our circumstances just getting out of control, right? Our dreams just running away from us. And what hope is, hope is a rope. Hope is a rope that we link our life to the promises of Christ. Watch this. Hope is the rope that ties our life to Christ. So when that dog gets away, one of the things I do, right, is I got to go get him. And if I'll tie the, the rope on him, if I'll put the leash on him, if I'll hang on to him, listen, I want you to know, it doesn't matter how far he runs, he can only run so far. It doesn't matter how much he wants to get away, he can't get away. Do you know why? Because I got a rope on him. And I want you to know that you can hook your family, you can hook your finances, you can hook your health, and it, it holds better than that, I promise. But hope, listen to me, hope is a rope that ties our life to Christ. Every one of you in this room, you need to tether that circumstance to God's promise. You need to hook that thing to what God has said about your life. Listen to me, if you're sick, you need to find God's promises about healing in your life. If you're broke and struggling financially, you need to find out what God said, that he's our provider, that he's able to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you're weak and struggling, you need to declare that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to me, if your marriage is struggling, you need to believe that you are walking in a covenant that lasts till death do you part. In the same way that God's changed your heart, he can change the heart of your spouse. There is nothing too difficult for God. You just got to tether your life to the promise of God. Hope is a rope. Come on, church. Hook up and hold on. But watch this. So when you read Romans, this this is funny. Again, Romans chapter 4, verse 20, Paul says basically this. Paul says... That, that, that Abraham never wavered in his faith. Now, I know, what that's, I know Scripture says that, and Scripture's true. But the word never wavered means this. The word never wavered basically means it never became disjointed. He never unhooked all the way. But he struggled. 
In fact, Romans is kind of the highlight reel of Abraham, but Genesis is, is the cutting room floor. Do you all know the difference? The, the, the highlight reel, sometimes we look at people's lives and all we see is the highlight reel. Social media is the highlight reel. It looks like they have it all together. looks like they always make right decisions. looks like they never fight in their marriage. looks like their kids always do their chores. But how many people know that we have a cutting room floor? We have a life, a real life, where we struggle, where we have battles. Help me, somebody. I know, now, if your life's perfect here, don't say it. Anybody here ever struggle, have battles, have situations, but you still love God? Abraham was a guy that trusted God, but he struggled at times with his hope. The Bible says his hope never wavered, which means he never utterly was hopeless. But there was times he was more confident than others. In fact, so I want us to look all the way back to Genesis, to the time that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 4. I want us to look back at the story because there's a couple things I want you to see. Check this out. Genesis chapter 15. Are you all with me today? Check this out. Some time later. Now, this may not help you, but... If you're all like me, this, this, is, this is so important that I hear this. From the time that God made the promise to Abraham that he would bless him and give him a kid, about 10 years has transpired. Now, if 10 minutes passes and God's not met his promise in our life, we lose our mind. God, where are you at? God, you said you would. God, you never, right? 10 years. He's been waiting and hoping, waiting and hoping. And watch this. Every year that goes by, he gets older and less likely to have a kid in his own strength. But even though he didn't have hope, he kept on hoping. Even though natural circumstances said this will never change, he kept his hope, not in his ability, but in God's faithfulness. So sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Keep going. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. What he's saying is, God, you promised me a son, but I don't have a son. So it doesn't matter how much you bless me. It doesn't matter how rich I am. The desire of Abraham's heart was for a son. And if you had a son, the son received the inheritance. And what he's saying is, God, you promised me a son. I've had hope in a son, but I ain't got no son. All I have is a servant that's going to get all my stuff. Next verse. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Listen to God. I love it. Then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not have, uh, I'm sorry, no, your servant will not be your heir. Read it with me. For you will have a son. Did it look like he would have a son? Come on, church. Did it feel like he would have a son? But what God said is, I want you to have hope that you'll have a son. Not in your circumstances, not in how you feel, not in what you can see. I want you to have hope in my faithfulness. I want you to have hope in the word that I've given you, in the promise that I've made that you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Verse 5. Come on, read this with me. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. I want you to know something, church. Hear me. Listen to me. What you behold is what you become. What you fix your eyes on is the direction you're headed. 
I want you to know, listen to me. Anybody here ever ride a motorcycle before? The way you ride a motorcycle, it can be tricky. The way you ride a motorcycle, the way you turn is you look the direction you want to go. You look the direction you want to go. You don't look where you are. You look the direction you want to go. I rented a Harley a couple years ago. I was out riding and not ridden a motorcycle in a long time. And I thought it's like riding a bike and you don't forget how. Only I had forgotten how. And I had to turn. I had to turn. I was getting on the expressway going about 30 miles an hour. And I forgot to look where I was going. And I was looking where I was at. And I rode up. <laughs> I rode up on the berm. <laughs> But I looked like I was under control. I mean, just in case anybody stopped, like I held that bike up. You got to look. Watch this. You got to look up. He said, I want you to go outside. I know if you keep your eyes on your circumstances, you're never going to have hope. If you keep your eyes on that old wrinkled body of yours, never going to have hope. If you keep your eyes on that dead womb of your wife, you're never going to have hope. If you're going to maintain aggressive hope in your life, you have to determine, I have to determine where I'm going to look. Hope is not found in crossing your fingers. Hope is found on focusing your eyes. Hope isn't this. Hope is determining that you're going to see God. Hope is determining you're going to keep his eye on his word. Hope is determining that we're going to keep our eyes on his faithfulness. It's not this. It's this. And God told Abraham, listen to me, keep looking up. He kept looking down. Gravity was pulling that junk to the ground. God kept saying, I want you to look up. Because as many stars as you can see, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. I'm not going to give you one son. I'm going to give you a nation. And he kept on hoping as he kept his eyes on the right place. Have you guys ever seen, um, they have these in theme parks. You ever see these places where uh, you, you put your head inside of the, kind of the framework, the, the, you put your in the cardboard cutout or the wood cutout? It's kind of like this picture, like, and this is life. You have to see yourself in a different situation. If you only ever see yourself, if you only ever look at a broken life, that's all you'll ever be. But when you can see yourself in a different situation, that's the first step of faith. That's the first step of hope, of saying, I don't have to always be where I am. I can be somewhere else. You guys remember a couple weeks ago, I mentioned we were up in Nashville, and I, my wife snapped this picture of, uh, of me. It was, uh, yeah, because basketball season's here, and since I can't slam dunk, I can slam dunk in the future, right here, baby. Um, by the way, y'all pray for me, the Cavs, they're going to be playing the Warriors. And, uh, I know some people are saying, don't get your hopes up, but LeBron's bringing one home for the land in Jesus name. (laughs) Go back to the scripture. Go back to, uh, Genesis. Check this out. It says, but Abraham replied, keep rolling. Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I'll actually possess it? Does this sound like a guy, bring this verse back. Does this sound like a guy who never wavered? He's saying, God, you told me I'd have a kid, but I don't have a kid. He's like, listen, I'm telling you, you're going to have a kid. Look up. And he looked up and he's seen all the stars. And he said, but God, how can, how can I be sure? Hope is not a feeling, it's a decision. And so God wanted to give Abraham, again, he never, he never gave up into total hopelessness. That's what scripture means when it says he never wavered. But he, he wondered, God, are you sure? And he asked God this question, God, how can I be sure? Here's the question. How can you be sure that you can have hope? Isn't that a great question? Well, sound, Pastor, it sounds nice, pie in the sky, have hope. But how can, I, how can I be sure I can have hope? 
Something happens here. It's going to take me a minute to explain it because it seems weird, but it's profound. Watch this. Verse 9. And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Bring me five animals out of your flock. Bring them to me. Why, God? What do you want me to bring animals for? Watch. So Abraham presented all these to him, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. And he did not, however, cut the birds in half. Now stop. You say, Pastor, you lost me. Like, so you want me to kill some animals? Like, I, I don't get it. This is why this happened. Because the culture that Abraham was from, like today, if we make a commitment, we do it on a handshake, right? Like I agree to buy a car from you or you sign a contract. And in the contract, there's representation of the promise or the commitment of both sides. What happens here in these verses is God makes a covenant with Abraham. It wasn't a handshake at that time. It wasn't a written contract. The way a covenant happened in Abraham's neighborhood the way he grew up was you took an animal and you cut it in half. And then both parties of the promise of the covenant would walk between the animals. And it was saying, if I don't keep my promise, if I don't keep my side of the bargain, you can do to me the same thing that's been done to these animals. And God said, I don't want you to take one animal. I don't want you to take two. I don't want you to take, I want you to take five. And I want you to cut them in half. And not just Abraham, but God said, I'm going to pass between these animals because here's what I want you to know is, if I don't keep my promise to give you the son, you can kill me. Well, how, how can you kill God? You can't. God was saying, listen, I am so sure. I am so sure I'll keep my promise that if I don't, I cease to exist. God was like making this declaration. You can't take life from me. So you can guarantee, you can take it to the bank that I'll give you hope, that I'll give you the promise. So hang on. And I want you to know, remember what Jesus said? Listen, listen. Remember what Jesus said at the Last Supper? He said, I'm giving you a new covenant. We don't, we don't cut animals anymore. Now we have a new covenant in Jesus. That Jesus, our Savior, who died, not just to give us forgiveness, but to give us life. That in this life, we have hope, we have strength, we have joy, we have provision, we have healing, we have peace. God is involved in everyday life, not just one day in heaven, but now. That no matter what you're going through, no matter what I'm feeling, we can have hope in Christ. A determined attitude, a confident expectation of something good in the future. Next verse, one more verse. Are you all with me? I, I need you all to be here for this one last verse. Watch this. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. I just want you to know that you can walk out of here with hope, but I want you to know tomorrow some vultures are going to come. Some vultures are going to show. Have you ever had hope before? And like, it just, do you know why? Because things in this life will come and try to take your promise. Some of you, man, you're going to talk to people who love Jesus. They're going to be like, Pastor told you what? Man, he's crazy. He ain't never going to change. That's just the vulture trying to take your hope. You'll walk out and, man, the enemy will start lying to you. Your husband's always been this way. Your finances have always been this way. Doctor said that'll never change. And you know what happens? You're going to give up your covenant promise because vultures are going to come. Your job, if you're going to have what, what, again, Paul said in Hebrews, if you're going to hold tightly on to hope, you've got to chase vultures away. You say, how do you do it? Real, three things, real quick. If you're taking notes, three things, very, very quick, we're going to close. 
Listen to me. Number one, again, I said it, you got to keep your eyes focused. If you keep your eyes on your circumstances, listen to me, man, vultures, doubt, discouragement's going to come. You got to keep your eyes. You got to keep your eyes on God's promises. Number two, keep your mouth full. Everybody say, keep your mouth full. Get the doubt out of your mouth. Get the doubt out of your mouth. Listen, listen what, listen what Psalm says. I love this. Go back to Psalms for me. Everybody read this with me. Why, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. If you don't realize what's happening here, the writer of this Psalm, David, he seems a little bipolar here. He's talking to himself. Hey, man, what, what are you discouraged about? I, I, I'm having a bad day. Well, listen, I know you're having a bad day, but God's good. But I, doesn't look like God's good. I, I think God's abandoned. God's not abandoning you. Put your hope in God. You got to put words that God has spoke in your mouth and say what God has said. And number three, number three, keep your heart clear. Doubt and discouragement's going to come. And if you entertain the doubt in your heart, you cannot walk in hope. Keep your eyes on the promise. Keep your mouth full of faith. Keep your heart clear of doubt. And I'm just telling you, man, my challenge for you is what would happen? What would happen if you walked in the same level of hope that Abraham did? I believe that you could see God show up in your life the same way that you've seen God show up in his. Because hope, the Bible says, doesn't disappoint. I want you all to just say that word with me. Hope doesn't disappoint. That's what the Bible says. Hope it doesn't disappoint. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Y'all pray with me. Lord, I pray over every situation in this room, every situation in this house, every person that feels overwhelmed, everyone's struggling. I pray, God, over every person that's looking at things in their life and they feel like it'll never change. They feel like they're stuck in a place that'll never be any different. I pray in Jesus' name that God would fill your life with hope. And I pray today that he would give you the capacity to make the decision to trust him. Even if things don't change right away, even if you're in a season of waiting like Abraham and things don't change at the pace that you think they ought to change, I pray that God would give you the capacity to hope and to trust him. And so, Father, I pray that, Lord, over every person in this room, that, God, we would walk again and live with an aggressive hope. Not crossing our fingers, but focusing our eyes. Of not speaking negativity, but God filling our mouth with your words. And when the vultures come, God, when doubt tries to come in and discouragement tries to come in, God, that we're going to fight them away. And God, we're going to have a confident expectation of something good in our future. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Listen, before you go, I want you to know, man, listen, the hope that we have, it starts with the relationship with Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, that's the first step of hope. We're all sinners. We all struggle. We all fall short. But Jesus came to give us a hope of salvation. He is our hope of glory, the Bible says. See, my hope of glory one day is not how good I am, my hope of glory is not that I'm a pastor or that I preach. My hope of glory is not based on anything that I've ever done, good or bad. My hope of glory is Jesus. 
my Savior. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to God's grace, I want you to know today, man, just saying yes to his gift of forgiveness and salvation starts you on a journey, being his kid, of walking in God's grace and his forgiveness. And so one more minute, will you bow your heads and hearts with me? If you're here today, real quick, before we walk out of this place, you want to say, Pastor Steve, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never said yes. I've never said yes to his grace. I want you to know, again, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all made mistakes. And that means you and that means me. The Bible also says that the wages of our sin is death, that that what we're going to get one day is being separated from God forever. But God doesn't want you separated from him. He wants you in a relationship with him because he loves you not just now, but for eternity. So he made a way that he sent his son Jesus to die for our sin. That if we'll say yes to his grace, we'll be forgiven immediately. We're made right with God and we can walk in a relationship with him. And so if you're here all over this room and you want to say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to say yes to God's grace. I want to say yes to his forgiveness. Hear me, we're lost without it. And he offers it today all over this room. If you're watching online, you can say yes right where you are. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And if you want to include it in this prayer to say yes to God's grace, all over this room, right to left, front to back, I want you to lift a hand real high and say, Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? Come on, is there anybody here? Say, Pastor Steve, will you pray for me? I want to say yes to God's grace. I want to say yes. Come on, throw it up, lift it up real high. Leave it up real high. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Come on, just leave it up one minute. Throw it up real high and leave it up. Say, Pastor Steve, you pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Thank you. I see a hand right there. Thank you over here, my right, your left. Bunch of hands are up. Listen, the Bible says that if we'll just say yes to Jesus, if we'll confess out of our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, Bible says by that we're saved. So I want to pray. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you lifted a hand, will you pray this with me out loud? And church family, will you join the seven or eight people that lift their hand? Let's pray together with them. Come on, pray this. Say, Jesus, I believe that you're my hope. I've sinned, but you're my salvation. Will you forgive me? Will you wash me? Will you make me your child? I believe you died for me and you rose again. In Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed said amen. Come on, can we thank God all over this?